Grab God's word and turn to the Gospel of John as we've been in this series that we've been looking at, the storyline of Jesus told by the greatest friend that Jesus would have in his earthly ministry, the closest relationship, the, uh, the Apostle John, who loved Jesus and loved to speak about Jesus and all that Jesus had done. And we find ourselves at the end of John chapter 3 this morning. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 3, we'll be starting in verse 22. And what we're going to find out is we are on the heels of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. And in that conversation, we have learned that we all must be born again. We've learned that we need to be born of the Spirit to enter into the kingdom of God. And what John is going to write is now that he has told us what it means to be born again and how we can be born again by believing in Jesus Christ, the one whom God sent to save us from our sins, the question is, what does that new birth look like? What implications does it have on our lives and our actions? And I believe what we are going to see in this little vignette, this little interlude on the uh, life and ministry of John the Baptist is to show us what the new birth looks like when it meets real life. And so this morning, we're going to talk about John the Baptist. And we're going to talk about what made John the Baptist so great. And the things that we need to do when success and greatness come our way, how we can use that for the glory of God and for his namesake alone. I want to do so, first of all, by bringing you to a passage in Matthew. When we talk about success and we talk about greatness, the question is, who was the greatest? And Jesus says this about John the Baptist. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. John the Baptist was a great man. He was a phenomenal human being. But what we're going to learn is he was not great or phenomenal from the world's perspective, but from God's. You see, we as people have a yearning. No matter our age, no matter where we find ourselves today, all of us have a desire to be successful. We desire to be successful in our work environment. We desire to be successful in our schooling. We desire to be successful in our relationships, our marriages. We want our kids to be successful. We have a yearning for it. And that's not just true for us as believers, but it's true for every human being on the earth. We want success. The problem is the world's definition of success is very different than God's definition. And what we need to ask is, God, what is your definition? What is your desire when it comes for us to be successful people? And how do we go about getting there? Now, in our pursuit of success, we go a lot of places. We yearn to learn how to be successful. A simple search on Amazon's Kindle page under the heading of success, you'll find more than 50,000 volumes of books written so that you and I can find success in the areas we're looking for that success. And what we will do at some point is we'll start asking the question, who has been successful already? 
It will begin to ask if I could learn something from them. Maybe there's a truth. Maybe there's a strategy. Maybe there's a, a list of things that they did that I can put into practice and in doing so follow in their footsteps of greatness and success. This is what I hope we do as we walk away from John chapter 3 this morning. John being one of the most successful, great men that Jesus himself says that fact is true. What was it about him that made him so successful? And what can we do in modeling the same behavior and the same beliefs that John did so that we might find success in this world Now, as we do so, we're going to come to John chapter 3. Notice what the passage tells us. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside. After what? After Jesus' discussion with Nicodemus. And they enter into the Judean countryside, and they remained there with them, and they were baptizing. John the Baptist was also baptizing at Anon near Salim, Because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put in prison. John's giving us a time stamp. At some point later in the future, John the Baptist will be imprisoned and then beheaded for his faith. Hasn't happened yet. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. Uh, Really the issue is baptism. And so this question was probably from a Pharisee. What right did John the Baptist have to baptize and do all of this repentance ministry? And now even more, what right did this new guy, Jesus, have to do the same? And so these disciples of John have this discussion with this Jewish individual, and they come to John and they say, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Let's stop there. What we have going on is the conflict between two ministries. John the Baptist for some time has been center stage, the reformer of Israel. For some time he has been building a following that has gotten larger and larger and God has blessed his ministry. His ministry has brought countless people to repentance and prepared countless others to be ready for the coming Messiah. But something started to happen. At the peak of the ministry, the trend lines began to come down. There weren't as many people coming. There weren't as many baptisms at the crusades. And John's followers were worried about it. And they bring this question to John. Now, they do so because they recognize there's a problem. And the problem is, is there's this other rabbi who's doing the same work, the same business. We've got competition here. And it is how John's followers respond and how John the Baptist responds where we see the greatness of John the Baptist and the humility that John the Baptist has. And if there's anything I want you to walk away from in this message this morning is that the only way you and I will find true success in God's eyes, not the world's, but in God's eyes, is if we will humble ourselves. 
And John the Baptist is one of the most humble individuals who ever lived, and we see it throughout. So how do we do it? There's a couple of things we need to get rid of. Number one, we need to eradicate, and you want to write this down, we want to eradicate the envy we have of others. Now right away in our text, we see that the glory days of John the Baptist are coming to an end. And the followers of John are becoming envious of this new ministry that is coming on the scene. Now, what is envy? Envy has been defined as the emotion which occurs when a person lacks another's superior quality, achievement, or possession. He either desires it or wishes that others didn't have it. Aristotle offered this truth about envy. It is the pain at the sight of another's good fortune. We are hurt, we are sad, we are angry because someone else has got it going on. Someone else has been blessed. Someone is achieving something that we wish was for ourselves. And envy will say either I want that and should have that or that person shouldn't have it because if I can't, nobody should. Envy is all in this text with the followers of John. And it comes out in a handful of ways. First of all, let's notice that this envy involves a disdain for others who are being blessed or who are being victorious or those who are being prosperous. Notice in the text it says that the men come and they talk to John and they speak this way. Rabbi... He who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. That statement there is full of envy. The first one is they have a disdain for Jesus. Their disdain for Jesus is seen that they can't even utter his name. Rabbi, that nameless dude, I don't even know his name. His name doesn't even matter. That guy... He's doing what you're doing. Now, time out. If we go back to John 1, when Jesus, I'm sorry, when John sees Jesus, he utters the words, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He had never said that before. You would have thought the followers of John would have keyed in on this. And then John says things like, man, I shouldn't even be touching his sandals. And he goes on and he says, this one is the Son of God. John had baptized thousands of people, and never had he declared that kind of statement that this one who's in the water with me right now, that he was the Son of God. Let us not forget the other Gospels tell us that when Jesus was baptized, a voice from heaven said, this is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. This was no ordinary baptism. This was no ordinary person. But how do these guys, out of their envy, speak? That nameless guy. Who cares what his name is? We don't even need to utter his name. He's out there doing ministry. When we are envious, we will have a disdain for those who are doing better than us. We will not like them. They may even be our family, our friends, but a disdain will come that we don't even want to speak of them because of our envy and jealousy that we have for them. Number two, when you are envious... Your eyes are not on your life, your ministry, what God is doing in and through you. It is not focused in on the gratitude that we have for all that God has done. 
notice where their attention is. They say, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look. You should underline that if you underline in your Bible. Look. He's baptizing. The idea here is they're more focused on him than they are themselves. They're more focused on his victories than they are the victories God's giving them. He's more concerned, they're more concerned about his converts than the converts that God has graciously by his spirit given them. You see, envy causes us to look with great desire and covetousness for what others have. Instead of looking at our spouse, we look at other spouses. They look much better. We look at other kids instead of our own. Look, they're on the honor roll, and they did this in the ball game, and they did that in the, in the big musical. We do that with people around us at work. They got this promotion, and they got that award, and, and look at me, I've, I've got nothing. You see, envy takes our eyes off of what God's doing in our life, and it puts it on what God is doing in other people's lives and not so that we can cheer on and say, praise God, look at what he's doing in that person's life. I praise, I join that person in praising God for all the blessing and good. You look, look what he's doing. Now they've got a problem. They've got a problem and their problem is is that they're allowing themselves to go deeper down this line of, of envy And what envy does is it causes us to exaggerate wins and losses. Notice what it says in the text. It says, they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, who is this who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness? Look, he's baptizing. And here's an important phrase. And all are going to him. Other translations, everyone is going to him. That's an important Greek word. As a Greek scholar and you who don't know anything about Greek, let me tell you what all or everyone means. All and everyone. Okay? That's what it means. What they are saying is that they are bankrupt in their ministry. They have gone from being at the pinnacle now to having nothing. Can I tell you that in their exaggerations, they're lying? They're lying. John, an objective observer, says this in our text. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside and remained there with them and was baptizing. Our exaggeration always has a little nugget of truth. Notice, they say, the one that you baptize, look, he's baptizing. There's the nugget of truth. But notice what it says. They say, everyone, all, are going to him. But notice what John the Apostle says in verse 23. John was also baptizing, and it tells us where. And it says, because water was plentiful, meaning you need lots of water to baptize lots of people. Notice what it says. Why? Because people were coming and were being baptized. They look at their life and they say, we've got nothing. John, the objective observer, says, hey, not only are they baptizing people, but they're baptizing lots of people. They need a river, a a big body of water to baptize because of so many people coming to be baptized. Do you see what's happening? Their envy elevates what Jesus was doing. Everyone, that's not true. Jesus was baptizing surely a lot of people. 
But not everyone, because John himself is baptizing, and this is what we do in the 21st century. What we do is we become envious of others. We look at their life. So we start skimming on Facebook or social media. Let's see what's going on in their life. Oh, look at all that good stuff. Must be nice to be able to go apple picking on a Saturday. Must be nice to have your teenage children smile and want to be with you. My children don't want to be with me. It must be nice that their kids are on the honor roll or got the lead in the play. It must be nice. Everything's going well for them. They have no problems at all. All I got is issues and struggles, but life is really good for them. Am I getting close, my friends? We begin to exaggerate. Everything goes their way. Nothing goes my way. This is what John's followers are struggling with. And they go to their leader and they say, what says you? What do you say about this? This is unfair. We were the ones who were given the command by God himself to go. You are the voice in the wilderness, John. You were the one to prepare the way. And this upstart, this new guy, he's getting all of our fans. What are we going to do? And it's here that John the Baptist proves his greatness. And he teaches us that not only do we need to eradicate envy from our lives with regards to others, but we need to eliminate, we need to eliminate any hint of a God complex. Now I want you to know something. John the Baptist was an incredibly awesome individual. I mean, like, out of this world awesome. Here's why. People thought he was God. Did you know that? He kept being asked, are you the one? That's pretty impressive. Let me tell you something. I have never been asked, are you God? (laughs) Never. I preach some pretty good sermons, and no one comes down. I walk down from the stage, hey, can I just, Tim, can I ask you, are you the one? Are you the one who came from heaven? Never been asked that. My wife hasn't even asked me that. Right? But John got asked this over and over and over again. People thought he was God. People thought he was the one. He had followers. Be careful. Be careful when you have followers. Be careful when your followers fight for your name. Fight for your renown. He's got lots of followers, and they're concerned. They're jealous for the glory of their leader, John. And they come and say, this Jesus, we don't want to name him. This nameless rabbi, he seems to be getting some glory, and you're the only one who should be receiving glory. So if anybody was to have a God complex in their life, it was John the Baptist. Let's not forget, John would have heard over and over again, you know how great you are? God so badly wanted you in this world that your aged parents who were um, infertile for decades in their old age had you. You were filled with the Spirit before you were born. Nobody can say that about themselves, but you can. And now you've got this great ministry. And if anybody had the right to say, listen, I'm him. If anybody could have been arrogant, it could have been John the Baptist. 
But John says right away, notice two phrases that he says. Verse 27, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given from him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I've been sent before him. Let's stop there. You want to create an environment, an atmosphere in your life of humility? Two realizations need to take place. First of all, you and I need to wake up every morning and utter the words he just did, I am not the Christ. It would do us great help if we would utter, I am not God. You need to say that to yourself right now. I am not God. But we act like we're God. What we demand of people the disdain and the frustration we have, and I'm just preaching to myself right now, when other people don't live up to my expectations, how dare you let me down? Don't you know who I am? Don't you know what I'm all about? And our frustration and our anger and vitriol towards people, you speak against me? You don't show up on time with an appointment with me? Don't you know how important I am? A little bit of God complex begins to come in. And what John the Baptist says is every follower of Jesus Christ needs to get it in our thick skulls. I am not the Christ. I'm not him. And so when people start propping you up, wow, you're amazing. You're great. Everything you touch turns to gold. You need to say, listen, I am not the Christ. First response. Second realization is that everything that I have, everything that you have, comes from someone someone else, not yourself. Your job, your spouse, your family, your money, your advancements, your opportunities, your possessions, everything, everything, everything that you have Everything you will ever have did not come because you in your infinite wisdom and knowledge and abilities made it possible. Everything we have, everything we have, everything we are, my friends, comes from the hands of a benevolent God who loves us and has lavished his grace upon us. Everything. So what in the world are we thinking When we say, I created that, I achieved that, look at what my great mind, look at what my persuasive skills rendered possible because of my giftings. I am nothing apart from the God who loved me and saved me. You see, in our pursuit of success, What we do is we go and we hit brick wall after brick wall. But at some point, we find a victory. We find success. And and I think one of the reasons why God doesn't give us all the success that we could have is because he knows it would go to our head. You see, we go about our lives and in workplaces and in our families willing for things to take place. And when they do... We are struck with awe and wonder about how great we are. Look at what I've done. All this I've accomplished with these hands. 
It is quite remarkable. I must be an amazing individual. And little do we know that we played such a small part in it, but that our heavenly Father behind us has graced us with what we have. To illustrate it, I want to show you a car commercial. And I want you to put yourself and your pursuit of success into this little boy. And I want you to watch what happens when he finally finds success, little knowing that it's his dad who's the one that's made it possible. Let's watch. get it? Locked in? What happens is, is when we get that big deal at work, when that new opportunity arises, when that relationship comes to fruition, we stand back and we're like, look at what I've done. And little do we know that we've got a God complex. A God in his infinite love and mercy has given us the ability to enjoy it. Eliminate the God complex. John the Baptist did. And it allowed him, once he eradicated the envy in his life, and once he eliminated the God complex, it enabled him to exercise a kingdom agenda. Notice, it goes on. And what he begins to say is, listen, my job, my purpose in life, is like being a best man in a wedding. Notice in the text he says, John answered, a person cannot receive from uh, even one thing unless it's given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend that is the best man of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, I must decrease, for he who comes from above is above all. Let's stop there. John the Baptist knew his place. His place was to be the best man. His place was to be the attendant at the groom's wedding. I've been a part of a lot of weddings in my line of work, both as a pastor and a caterer, and there is nothing more tacky than an attendant who tries to take over the wedding. You ever been a part of a bad best man speech? Just goes on and on and on. It's about him. It's like, dude, we're not here because of you. We didn't come to hear you talk. You're a part. You play a small part. We're here for the celebration of the bride and the groom. Listen, 
far too many of us as Christ followers think it's about us. It's our show. We're supposed to be in the spotlight. And there's nothing more tacky in all of this world than a Christ follower who makes more about themselves than about Jesus who saved them. Don't ever forget that. There's no worse thing that we can do in this world than make much of us and less of Jesus. And so John the Baptist says, I know my place. My job is to point people to the star of the show. Everything I do in victory and defeat is to point the spotlight to Jesus. Oh my goodness, if we would just hear that, receive that, and do that, the outreach that we would have would be mind-blowing. If we went to work, if we went to school, if we engaged our neighborhood with the focus that it's not about me, but it's about Jesus who saved me, this Jesus who has given me everything I have, if I would make way more about Jesus than myself, the impact that we would have would be amazing. John says, I know my place. My place is to rejoice and declare the one who has come from above. He is, he was, and he will always be above all. Can you say that this morning? That Jesus is first? Jesus is above any pursuit, any desire, any accolade that we would have. In order for this to happen, you and I must practice what I want to call an I am second posture. He must increase, but I must decrease. This John, who people came from far and wide to hear speak, who obeyed his call to repent and be baptized. This man who would change a nation and prepare a people for the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, this man who had so much going for him, we are told by John, all of this happened before John was put in prison. John would decrease. He would lose his crowds. He would lose his fame. He would lose his standing amongst his friends and his community. He would be thrown into prison, put into solitary confinement, and at a day of someone's choosing, he would be drawn out of that prison, he would be held down, and he would be beheaded for his faith. Talk about decreasing. Talk about being made low. And John said, if that gives Jesus a greater spotlight, praise be to God. How many of us, and I include myself in this fact, how many of us are willing to lose everything so that the name of Jesus might grow? That is humility. That is success. That is greatness. I think it has been far too long for the people of God and the preachers of God's word to make it about them and instead to make much of the one who saved us.
I wrote this down. I don't know if it'll be helpful, but let's just read it for hopefully your blessing and benefit. Success isn't found in the grandeur of one's resume. But we work on that resume, don't we? We polish that resume up. We make sure that our name is in the spotlights. That's not where success is found. The world says that's where you find success. But for the Christian, success rather is found in the grace one receives from God. So rejoice in what God has done in your life. You and I, we didn't deserve it, but he gave it. Thank God for what he's given. Thank God for the opportunities. Thank God that he allowed you the gifts and abilities to do what you are doing. But be so desirous of God and his glory that if it means you have to lose everything, it would be worth it. And you and I should consider it joy because if it expands the kingdom of God one inch, it was worth it all. So humble yourselves and find greatness in humility. Now, how do we find it? We need the strength of God. We need the spirit of God to move in us. We need the Lord each and every hour we need him because without him, you and I can do nothing. And without him, we will only become prideful and arrogant. But with the spirit moving in our lives, there and only there will we find humility.